song, isn't it? What a great song. Well, as, uh, as Pete already described, we're going to be in the Exodus today. And yes, I'm happy about that. Now, I want you to notice, though, but by the time we end here, it's not going to be about the Exodus. It's going to be about the God of the Exodus. And so I, I just want to point that out right now, and, and hopefully you'll see that as we go along. So we are in Exodus chapter 20, and this is the Ten Commandments. Now, now the Ten Commandments often get a bad rap. The Ten Commandments, people talk about them as a list of don'ts, right? Do nots. That's not what the Ten Commandments are. And they, they even list them as, as this is what Israel had to do in order to stay in the covenant with God. And that's not what they are either. We'll see as we look at the context today that the, the Ten Commandments, or, or in Hebrew, the Ten Words, as they're called, are stipulations of the covenant. They're the boundaries of relationship. And we'll, we'll see that as we go along. So it isn't a list of stuff you got to do and not do. That's not what the Ten Commandments were ever about. And they're not the original covenant with Israel. We'll see that as well as we, as we study. So let's read Exodus chapter 20, just verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Powerful words, and this is the first of the Ten Commandments, and I would maintain that if you get this one right, then the other ones fall into place. You get this one right, and life falls into place, frankly. You get this, this commandment right, and your life will be in line with God. This, one's gotta, this, was, this is the one. If you're going to focus on any of them, focus on this one, and the rest of them will come. So the context, this is the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments. Now, I said earlier that these are the stipulations of the covenant, the boundaries of a relationship. This is not the covenant itself. The covenant itself is in uh, chapter 19. It's before these, chapter 19. Now, let me read you verses 3 through 6. You can look at them there in your Bible. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be on my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. This is the covenant. The covenant is God saved them so that they could be his people. And he, what he asks is carefully listen to me. That's the covenant. These are the stipulations of the covenant. In other words, if you, uh, if you can't hear my voice, then know these are the boundaries. That's what the Ten Commandments actually are is if you're not able to hear my voice, to carefully listen to me, then stay within these boundaries. This is out of bounds. This is in bounds. That's what the Ten Commandments really are. And as I said, in Hebrew, they're the ten words. And so when he says at the end of verse 6 of chapter 19, 
these are the words that you must give to the Israelites. He's talking about these. He's talking about these stipulations, these boundaries for the relationship between Israel and God. These are the words, the ten words that, that must be the, the out of bounds and in bounds. So again, this is the first of the Ten Commandments. And it's first for a reason, and that reason is simple. If we get this right, we get them all right. Because what, look at what this commandment says. What this commandment says is who God is. This commandment tells us what God has done. And this commandment tells us who we are in light of who God is and what God has done. That's everything we need to know. If we remember these three things, who God is, what God has done, and who am I, then life will go pretty well. We will be within the boundaries. We We will have a life led by God if we can remember those three things. And all three in this first commandment. First commandment gives us the baseline. This is how life should be lived. So what's it say about God? Well, it says that God is. Now, that's an easy statement to say, especially in a a church, (laughs) especially in a room full of people that believe God is. But I want you to understand something. God is whether you believe it or not. God is. And you know, the Bible doesn't even try and convince you of that. It doesn't try and and, and tell you, you know, that... There, there is a God because of this. There is a God because of this. It doesn't even try that. It starts out with a presupposition that God is. The first line, the first verse in the Bible is, in the beginning, God created. So God predated the first line of the Bible. And it doesn't start out by saying, creation proves that God exists. It says God made it. So the first line of the Bible, and from there on, It doesn't explain that God exists. It doesn't even argue that God exists. It tells you God is, and this is who the God that is, is. That's what it says. The first five words of the Bible tell you God is, and he is a creator. So it tells us who he is. It never really tries to tell us or or defend the fact that God exists. It starts with that presupposition. God is, whether you believe it or not, he is. You have friends, I'm sure, family members, coworkers, that say there is no God. That does not diminish God in any way. God is. We believe in him because he is. He doesn't exist because we believe in him. We believe in him because he exists. And it's an important point. Because we get that mixed up in our culture. We get that mixed up in our society. We think, well, that, that God is good, good for you, but not, not for me. There is one. There is one God. And that God is. He is. And this says that he is personal. Now, I want, you notice in your Bible that the word Lord is all in caps. It says, I am the Lord, your God, and Lord is all in caps. That's a translator's way of telling you that's the name of God. They don't want to put the name of God, so they put Lord in all caps. 
So it's not the, the Hebrew word for Lord, it's the name of God. Well, what's the name of God? I am. So this first line literally says, I am the I am your God. It literally says that. This God is personal. He is first person, singular, to be verb, I am, and he's your God. He's the one that acts on your behalf. He's the God who saved you. And as, as Kim, or I'm sorry, Jane, Angie pointed out earlier in the service, he continues to save you. It isn't just about salvation. It's about the saving that we received this morning. He continues to save. This, the God that is, is the God that saves. He is the I am. Not the will be, not the once was, the I am. Always what he always is, what he always has been, always will be what he always has been, and always is. He is. Whether we believe him or not, he is, and he is personal. He, he gave us his name, and he tells us he is our God. And this God saves. And he saves for our benefit. Did God have to go to, is, to Egypt and rescue the Israelites for, the, for, for his sake? No, he had to do it for their sake. He had to go get the Israelites for the Israelites' sake. He saved you for your sake, not his. He, didn't, he doesn't need you. He wants you in a relationship with him. But he doesn't need you to complete what he's doing in, in this world. He wants you to take part in that. He saves for our benefit. This is the God that saves. The God that is, is the God that saves and is the God that is personal. So what does it say about us? Well, you've heard me say this from this platform before. There is a God and it isn't you. Now, I know that's, I, we chuckle at that and we think, well, I don't, uh, I don't, ever, I don't think my, that I'm God. That's not the problem. Here's the thing. If you live like there is no God, then you think there, that you are God. That's just how that works theologically. If you live like there is no God, then you're God. And there's a problem because there is a God and it isn't you. <laughs> it is the God that is. It is the Lord, our God. The Lord, your God, is the God. We don't outright say that we're, that, that we're God, but we live like we want to make all the choices, like we want to make all the decisions, like, okay, God's for Sunday morning, Monday, Saturday's up to me. We live that way, and in a, in, in a theological sense, we are saying, I'm God. You're not. I'm not either. There is a God, and it isn't us. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. It says that you are worth saving. God took action on your behalf. Remember I just said, God saved you for your sake, not his. You are worth saving. You are the target, focus, and purpose of the, of the gospel. You're the target, focus, and purpose of the salvation of God. 
just like Israel was in the original Exodus, you are now the target, focus, and purpose of salvation. He does this for your benefit. So what do we need to do? We need to recognize God as God. We need to, we need to recognize we are not God. And that means on a daily basis, when we're facing decisions, we need to involve the God that is. Because we can't live Monday through Saturday like there is no God and then expect someday to fix that. There is a God and he didn't, he didn't send Jesus to the cross to save your Sunday morning from 10.30 to noon. He sent Jesus to the cross to save your life, your Monday your Thursday, your Saturday. So we need to recognize God as God. We need to, to do what this command does. Recognize that there is a God. Recognize what God has done for us. And recognize who we are in light of who God is. Those are the th- we, we have to do exactly what this command was meant to do for the Israelites. It's meant to do for us. There is a God. He saved you and continues to save you. You are loved, cherished by him because he takes action to save you. Recognize who God is, what God has done, and who we are. And we need to prioritize God. God wants absolutely nothing between you and him. You know, uh, when it says, have no other gods besides me, many translations have in before me. The Hebrew literally is in front of my face. Now, I want to remind you in this culture, in the Middle Eastern culture, the, the face is the most intimate part. That's why married women cover it with a veil in, in the Middle East, because that's the most intimate part. So when it's talking about the face of God, when it talks about having something in front of the face of God, it's talking about you having something standing between you and intimacy with God. He wants nothing between you and intimacy with him. Nothing. Now, here's our problem. We look at that and think, (coughs) excuse me, we look at that and think, well, that's sin, right? It can be family, it can be church, it can be anything that stands between us and intimacy with God. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It just has to be anything that stands between us and intimacy with God. He wants us to know his face, his most intimate. That's what he wants from us. And so we need to prioritize him. We don't, again, outright say, well, my job's more important, my family's more important, uh, money's more important, power is more important, position's more important. We don't outright say those things, but our life Monday through Saturday shows what we really prioritize. It shows whether we got stuff between us and intimacy with God. He desires us to have intimacy with Him. And anything, good or bad, that stands between us, between us and intimacy with God, must be removed. It must be removed. So let's look at this kind of phrase by phrase. I am the Lord your God. As I said earlier, this this is literally I am 
the I am your God. This is the God that is. The God that is, whether you, whether your neighbors believe it, whether your friends believe it, whether your family believes it, whether your co-workers believe it, he is the God that is. He is the I am. And he is personal, your God. He is first person singular to be verb, which is what Yahweh or Yehovah or I am is. He is that personal, and, he, and then he, he adds to that and says, I am your God. I am the I am your God. This is a personal God. He is not up there waiting to punish you for the stuff he catches you doing. That's not who God is. He is the God that saves. He is, he is your God. He is the God that's on your side always. Always on your side. Always working your life to the, to the best it can be if you'll work with him instead of against him. Always your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. God took the original people of God, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They were slaves there. We see in our own Christian walk, he's done the same thing with us. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to addictions. We were slaves to, to what culture thought of us. We were slaves to position, power, money, we were slaves to every, anything and everything else but God, and he, he sent Jesus to save you from that, to break the power of sin, to break the power of anything that stands in the way of you and God. Jesus came for that purpose, to save you. He sent Moses in the original Exodus. He sent Jesus in this Exodus. And we are to follow Jesus out. We, are, we have been slaves to sin, to power, to, to money, to, to what our friends think. To We've been slaves, and we are set free by Christ. We are set free by the power of God. Do not have any other gods besides me. This, uh, fundamentally, this is about worship, because God knows to put something in front of his face is to worship something over him. And we become what we worship. We become like what we value most. So if God is not what you value most, you are becoming like something else, something other than God. If Christ is not number one for you, then whatever is number one is who you're becoming. We become what we worship. This, this command is about worship because it talks about having God, in, having something else in front of God's face, bringing something else up between you and intimacy with God. Whatever it is that, that you have there, and, and I'll say again, it can be things like power, possessions, uh, money, it can be uh, job, it can be family, it, can, it, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, it just has to distract you from intimacy with God. 
and we have violated this commandment. We have forgotten who, who God is. We have forgotten what God has done for us. And we've forgotten who we are. Those are the three things we must get right. And if we get those three things right, life goes well. But we must have these three things right. Who God is, what he has done, and who we are. The rest of the the Ten Commandments, the rest of the Christian life come together once we settle those three things. So what's the comfort and the challenge of this passage? Comfort, I think it's comforting that God is. Because I need there to be a God. Because I need there to be somebody other than me in charge. There has to be. I am too much of a screw-up <laughs> to not have somebody else in charge. There has to be a God. And that God saves. That God has targeted you with salvation. He's targeted you with, sla- with saving you from slavery. You are the target, focus, and purpose of the salvation of God. That's a great comfort. But the challenge here is not allowing anything between us and the face of God. Not allowing anything to take that spot of intimacy. Not allowing anything to become worship. Worshiping something else other than the face of God. That's the challenge. And so I ask you this morning, do you know who God is? Do you know what God has done? And do you know who you are? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for just a moment. You've got to answer those three questions. Is God your God? Do you know who God is? Do you know what God has done for you? And do you know who you are? You can can take a step of faith toward who God is. Maybe this morning you're you're realizing who God is is something that you've kind of got a grip on, but maybe this morning you're realizing what God has done for you has slipped away. This morning, you can take that step back. It's as simple as a prayer. You, can, you just acknowledge that you have sin in your life. God, I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died on the cross to pay my price. I trust what you have done for me to save me from slavery. So I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. Lead me from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Tell one of our deacons. Tell somebody after church. Elbow your neighbor and tell them right now that you took a step of faith, you understand what God has done for you this morning. Maybe this morning, and and it's a great time of year for this, I guess, because we're at the beginning of the year, 
can you make a commitment to nothing, absolutely nothing, getting between you and the face of God? Make that commitment now and make that commitment every day. Today, God, nothing is going to get between you and me. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that you are the God that is. And we thank you for what you have done for us in saving us from slavery, in sending Christ to lead us home. And we thank you for who we are, loved, cherished by you in Christ. Keep us mindful of this this year, starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Jim from Porter Mountain Fellowship. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. These are sermons from our 10.30 a.m. service on Sundays. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. We're on the corner of Porter Mountain Road and Commerce Drive in beautiful Lakeside, Arizona.